Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. When I was growing up as a kid, I, I always wanted to be an athlete. In fact, I dreamed of being a pro football player when I, when I grew up. The only problem was I wasn't very athletic. And, and I'm still not, but it didn't keep me from becoming an avid sports fan. And I love to watch sports. I, I love to watch soccer and volleyball if my grandkids are playing. Uh, I love to watch basketball. I love to, to watch baseball. I especially love to watch football. Football really, I guess, is really my favorite game. But the thing that's a little frustrating about watching football is that there's so many rules. There's so many rules. And I've watched hundreds of games over the years. And last weekend, I was watching a game, and the, the ump or ref or whatever threw a flag. And then when he turned his microphone on, he, he called the team for illegal formation. And he said the tight end was not covered up. And I thought, okay, not only do I not understand that, that doesn't sound very good. It just, you know, but you get my point. There are so many rules. But some people's religion is very much like that. There are so many rules, and they live their lives in that kind of religious system, trying so hard to keep all the rules because they think that is the way that you get into heaven. But in reality, they don't even, like me in football, they don't even understand all the rules, much less be able to keep them. And as a result, they never really know where they stand with God. And that's a sad way to live. Our series is entitled Divine Invitation. And it's the story of Jesus based upon the memories of the Apostle Peter who was an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry on earth, including his crucifixion, including his resurrection and his time following the resurrection before he ascended back into heaven. And the Apostle Peter had all of these eyewitness memories and they were recorded then by his friend and missionary partner, John Mark, as he sat down with Peter when he was in that prison in Rome not long before he would be executed for his faith. And then John Mark compiled all of those memories, all of those stories, and he wrote them down. And they have come through the generations and the centuries by the the guidance and the plan of the Holy Spirit into our New Testament, and we know that group of stories as the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark has some powerful spiritual themes uh, in it, but we're drilling down on one theme in particular, and it's the theme of the kingdom of God. And in week one, our big idea was this, and it really is kind of the big idea for the entire series. The kingdom of God has come, and you are invited to be a part of it. The kingdom of God, Jesus invited those in his ministry and us today to be a part of something new, something different, 
something exciting, something that transforms lives and eternities. Jesus had come to show us how to become rightly related to God, how to be forgiven, how to be redeemed, how to become a part of his kingdom and even his family. And it had nothing to do with keeping rules. And so today's big idea that that we're going to unpack throughout the message is this. The kingdom of God is not about rules. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship. And so we'll begin with a story from Mark chapter 2. If you have your own copy of the scripture, open it to Mark chapter 2. I'll be teaching, as always, from the New Living Translation. And this story that we will begin with is a story about a man who, as far as the religious leaders and the religious people all around him, this man, in their mind, had broken every rule possible. And he was despised because of it. So Mark chapter 2, begin with me at verse 13. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, just to clarify, the man in this story that we uh, are calling Levi is the same person that would come to be known as Matthew. And he would write the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels. He would write the first Gospel uh, in order in our New Testament. But in this time, on this day, he was known as Levi. And he was, though he was Jewish, he was a tax collector for the Roman government. Well, that set up all kinds of problems uh, with his people. The Jews hated Rome because Rome was oppressing them and, and keeping them under submission. The Jews were ruled over by the Roman government. And so for a Jewish man to go to work for the Roman government to collect taxes was a, a dishonorable thing. But not only that, the system was such that Rome had a certain amount of tax that it intended to be collected from each family or individual, and the tax collectors would collect that amount, and then they were free to add whatever amount they chose over and above that, and they would collect it and put the extra in their pockets. So the the fellow Jews of a Jewish tax collector working for Rome considered him to be not only a traitor, but a thief. And so it was this kind of man, known as Levi in this passage, that Jesus showed up and gave him a divine invitation. Pick it up again in the middle of verse 14. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed Jesus. Wait a minute. Just like that? Exactly. Just like that. In chapter 1 of Mark, verse 15, Jesus said, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And in that moment, on that day, Levi did exactly that. 
He repented, which means to turn away, to turn around. And in that moment, he turned away from the sin of his past and he turned to a new life of following Jesus. And that's what Jesus invites people to do today. To repent, which means to turn away from the sin of your past and turn to a new life of following Jesus. And when Levi did that, he wasn't ashamed to tell anyone from his old life what he had done and how they could do that too. And so he decided the best way to do that was to throw a party at his house and have Jesus as the guest of honor. Verse 15, later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And then a parenthetical statement, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. What does that mean? That means there were a lot of people repenting of their sin and turning to follow Jesus. Which should be exactly the kind of thing you would celebrate. Just as we celebrated this morning the story of those who had turned from their old life and turned to a new life of following Jesus. But not everybody celebrated. And by the way, this was a small community. Uh, And not unlike small town USA. Have, Have you ever lived in a small town? Yeah, Magnolia's not a small town anymore. I mean a small town. And if you have, you know, everybody knows everything. And if they don't really know, they make something up. Small town, and that's the kind of, of setting that Levi lived in. And so everybody knew that at Levi's house was Jesus and his disciples and all of these disreputable sinners, as that translation says. Well, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the the higher-ups in the religious order of their day, they were stalking Jesus. They were following him around. They were listening to him as he taught about the kingdom of God, about a kingdom that was different than and contradictory to their system of religious rule-keeping. And justifiably so, they felt threatened. Because this new kingdom that Jesus talked about would completely dismantle their system, their rule-keeping, regimented religious system. It would dismantle it, and they would no longer have this system to scam and control the people. And so pick it up with verse 16. When the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they stated or they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Now, literally in the Greek, that last word means tax collectors and sinners. But the translators of the New Living understood that Western 21st century people don't really understand the kind of stigma that went along with being a tax collector or some other kind of of disrespected people. And so they tried to come up with a word that communicated what the Pharisees were really saying about these people, and they came up with the word scum. 
Because that's how the Pharisees viewed these sinners that needed God's grace. And in their self-righteousness and arrogance, the Pharisees could quickly see somebody else's sin, but they were blind to their own. They didn't understand or care that Jesus came to save sinners just like those people and just like us. He came to save sinners, to invite them to become part of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, in his own (laughs) brilliant way of communicating, let them know what it was about. Verse 17, when Jesus heard this, that is the Pharisees' uh, condemnation of, of the people he was having dinner with as scum, when Jesus heard this, he told them, the Pharisees, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And by the way, that is a vital part of a faith journey. That is a vital part of everyone's faith journey. The first step to being forgiven of your sin is to realize and admit that you're a sinner. Uh, There are some people who look around at others and, and think, well, I'm better than they are, so I'm okay. Those kind of people are far from God until they come to the place of realizing and admitting they're a sinner, that we're all sinners. Uh, In in fact, uh, you'd only have to read Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, or in a, in a psychological term, if you have any self-awareness at all, you know you're a sinner. But some people, that's not really the big issue. Some people think, well, I know I'm a sinner. I've done so much. I'm so bad. God couldn't possibly love me. If you think for a moment that you've done too much or you're too far gone for God, then you don't understand the magnitude of his love and grace toward you. The magnitude of God's great love for you. And not to entrap you into a religious system. God does not want to conform you to religious rules. He desires a relationship with you as his forgiven child. Well, not succumbing to all their rules drove the Pharisees crazy about Jesus. That he wouldn't conform to, uh, it wasn't just the teachings of the Old Testament, but it was hundreds of rules that they had made up and added to. And so they found time after time after time ways to criticize Jesus for not keeping their rules. In chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, They were on Jesus' case because he didn't fast when they thought he ought to fast. That was a part of their system. That they would fast, and and not to keep it secret like is taught in the New Testament, but, but they made a big show of what they were doing so that everybody would give them attention. And Jesus and his disciples didn't fast, and so they were criticizing him. And here's how Jesus replied to their criticism, verse 19 of Mark 2. Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? 
Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast. And they didn't understand that. They didn't really want to understand that. So they looked for something else to criticize Jesus for. And so one day, Jesus and his disciples on the Sabbath were walking through grain field. A grain field. And they were hungry. And so they just would stop. And this was the... uh, uh, the custom of the day that was perfectly acceptable to break off a few heads of the, the grain stalk and to eat the, eat the grain. It was just a common courtesy for those who owned such fields. And Jesus and his disciples were doing that. The Pharisees saw it and they said, wait a minute, you're working on the Sabbath. You're harvesting. And so they were criticizing Jesus for working on the Sabbath. They had all these rules about what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And so here's how Jesus responded to that ridiculous criticism. Verse 27, Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And then he made a statement that if you understand the power of it, it absolutely blew them away. Verse 28, he said, So the Son of Man, let me stop right there, that was Jesus' favorite term or, or descriptive name for himself, the Son of Man, it was a clear messianic term from the Old Testament. So in that self-declaration of calling himself the son of man Jesus was declaring himself to be divine and they understood that so the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath and that just let all of the air out of their rule keeping about the Sabbath he proclaimed his lordship over the Sabbath But they persisted in saying, no, there are things you must not do on the Sabbath. So the next thing Jesus did that they took issue with was he healed somebody. He encountered a man that had, I think the King James calls it, a withered hand. uh, A disfiguration of the hand and perhaps the arm. Maybe it was severe rheumatoid arthritis. I'm I'm not sure. But whatever it was... It was a physical malady that caused his hand to be shriveled and, and not useful, inoperable. And so Jesus healed him. See the account, Mark chapter 3. After he had healed the man, it says, Then he turned to his critics, meaning the Pharisees, and asked, Does the law... Permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. It was healed. It was functional. It was strong. The Pharisees and everyone should have rejoiced. This was a man who was suffering. This was a man who had a hand that he could 
could not use, and unless God intervened, he would not be able to use it for the rest of his life. Now suddenly it was whole and operable and he could do things he had not done perhaps ever before. They should have celebrated, but they didn't. Verse 6, at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. What a sad commentary on their religion. The Pharisees practiced a, what I want to call a gotcha religion in that they went around looking for people breaking their rules. They wanted to catch sinners breaking their rules because the more they could gotcha, the more control they had over people. And to them, it was not true faith. It was a religious scam. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. Jesus invites us into a relationship in which we love him deeply and we trust and follow him willingly. Not because we're afraid of being punished for somehow stepping outside the, the, the rules, but because we love him and we trust him and we believe that our best is always his heart. I don't, I don't know what background you came from. Some of you may have grown up in a very rule-based religious system or structure. But can I just say, if someone's religion teaches them that the way to make it into heaven is to, to work hard to keep all the rules and not mess up. Can I just tell you that's just another version of the Pharisees' religion? It's just another rule-keeping religion. And it's not what Jesus invites us to in the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus would say, you can't keep all the rules. It's impossible to keep all the rules. And if there was ever anyone that understood the fallacy of trying to live keeping all the rules, it was the Apostle Paul. You remember him? <laughs> he was a Pharisee in his old life. He understood the whole rule-based religious system. In fact, he was obsessed with defending it to the point that he wanted to kill the followers of Jesus and yet when he came to know the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, he understood the, the fallacy, the impossibility of a religion that's based on rule keeping. And the Apostle Paul became the champion of grace. Here's what he said to the church in Ephesus in the, in the first century. Don't miss this. I love these two verses. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's not anything you did. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward. Don't miss this sentence. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. 
So none of us can boast of it. We can't take credit for it. We can't achieve it. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. It is not about performance. It's about God's grace. And it's so different than what the Pharisees, the Pharisees were trying to entrap people in legalism, in rule keeping. And by the way, legalism didn't pass away with the Pharisees. Legalism is still around today. There are quite a few versions of legalism in 21st century religion. Some among well-meaning, sincere people who are believers in Jesus Christ but don't fully understand and appreciate grace. And so they think you've got to add all these rules. The kingdom of God does not entrap or manipulate the people of God in a prison of rules. The kingdom of God bestows upon us by God's grace as a free gift, freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. Not entrapment in rules. Freedom to follow Him and obey Him not because we're afraid of punishment, but because we love Him and we trust Him and we want to please Him of our own free will. We have in Christ been set free from the law, set free from rule keeping by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. And it is grace alone. Say that with me. It is grace alone. And if you add rules to grace, it's not grace anymore. You cannot corrupt grace by saying, oh, but you've got to also keep the rules. There are those who believe that you've got to walk a a tightrope of rule keeping along with grace and that if if you somehow fall off the tightrope, you lose your salvation. And, and I want, so many people sincerely believe this, and I want to say, my dear brother or sister, how would you know if you've lost it? How would you know what you need to do to get it back? And how would you know how many times you can fall off the tightrope before you can't get back on anymore? And you see how illogical that is. You can't add works to grace. It's all grace through faith. And there will always be those who will try to add the law, rules, to grace. And in the first century, this became a crisis in the church at Galatia. There were those who were teaching, oh yeah, it's grace, it's grace, but you've got to add some of the Old Testament laws for it to be sufficient. Grace alone is not enough. You've got to add a few laws, and you've got to add, for the Jews, it was circumcision and this and that. And the Apostle Paul wrote a letter, and he got pretty stern with the church. And he basically said, you have corrupted grace by trying to add the law. Paul understood that the law corrupts grace. So let me let you hear from him, Galatians 2, 19 through 21. 
And he, he speaks from his own experience. Verse 19. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. Now look at what he says, verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then verse 21. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Now, now don't miss that sentence. Because he's saying, if you try to add rule-keeping to grace, you are treating the grace of God as if it means nothing. He goes on, For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Wow. He is saying that the death of Jesus Christ paid once and for all that which we couldn't pay if we could keep all the rules which we can't. It is the grace of God. The kingdom of God is not about rules. It's about a relationship. So as we leave the Gospel of Mark for today, I think it leaves a couple of questions, a couple of personal questions for me to ask you. Here's the first. Have you been trying to please God by keeping rules you don't even understand? Have, have you lived with the burden, with the weight of trying to keep rules to win God's favor? And if you came from the background, if you grew up in a rule-based religion, can I just say with all due respect, those who taught you that system were wrong. They may have been sincere, but they were wrong. Rule-keeping will never win God's favor. It is all the grace of God Amen. through faith Amen. in Jesus Christ. You don't have to walk a tightrope of trying to keep the rules, wondering if your next slip-up is going to cause you to lose your spot in heaven. It's not performance. It's God's grace. Here's the second question. Wouldn't you rather live in the freedom of God's grace, following Jesus because you love him and trust him? Here's the difference. When you understand grace and you live in grace and in the freedom of Christ, when you're walking and you slip up, and by the way, you will slip up. I slip up. We all slip up. Amen? We're still sinners, even though we're saved and redeemed sinners. And when we do mess up, slip up, fail, sin, when we come to our Father with repentance, He doesn't stand there with His arms crossed waiting to punish us. He is waiting with open arms of forgiveness and mercy and love and grace. Why? Because you're not His prisoner in a prison of rules, you are his forgiven, loved 
child. Now, as we prepare to close our service with a time of prayer and invitation, let me just say to anyone that's here in the service in the worship center or watching online, if you have never become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, if you have never stepped across the line of faith, he invites you to do that today. If you've been on a journey to faith, but you've never stepped across that line to say, like Matthew, I'm turning my back on the sin of my past. I'm turning to a new life to follow Jesus. We can show you how to do that today. Or if you're on a journey of faith and and you've slipped up, you've messed up, you need to recommit, we can show you how to freshen and renew that commitment to a God who loves you and a Savior who lives in you. In just a few moments, after I lead us in a prayer, there are going to be prayer partners here at the front. And they will pray with you about anything that's on your heart. And if you're here today and you need healing of some kind, Cindy and I will be here in the middle. And according to the teaching of James chapter 4, I would be happy to anoint you and she and I will pray over you for God's healing mercy. But if you're here today and you need to take the next step in your faith journey, whatever that might be, here's what I want you to do. Come to one of our prayer partners and just simply say, I need to take the next step. They'll be here at the front. They'll be in the balcony, wherever you might be. And if you're online, you can text uh, Pastor uh, Jeff in the comment section or our text number, 281-343-3033, and we'd be glad to respond. Let's pray that in these next few moments, God will move. And if you have a need for prayer, then we invite you to come. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, life is hard and we cannot live it without your strength, without your power. And so, Lord, in these next few moments, we want to come to you in prayer with whatever is on our hearts, a burden for our own lives, a burden for someone else, a need for healing, or someone who needs to take the next step in their faith journey. And I pray that we would do what you direct us to do and that you would be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. You come as we pray.
something on your heart that you might need to pray about, we invite you to come. Father, we thank you for your grace today. We thank you that you are a God that doesn't expect us to be able to measure up by our own religious performance, but that you did for us what we could never do for ourselves. That the cross of Jesus is that final payment for the sins of the world and for each one of us. Thank you for God's people as they've come to worship and praise you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful Sunday.